Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. I'm here with my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman, as well as our pop culture aficionado, Shane Christian Cunningham. We also have Intern Erica on the dials and joining us, very special guest. Uh, thank you for joining our pod. It's Umbreen and Ayat. Yes, it's an Ayat. Thank you for having me. Thank <laughs> we you nailed for having it. me. <laughs> that, was, that was the most stressful part of your day, Mike, probably. Yeah. Well, just getting the name right? Just executing Well, that. because you have a unique name, which I think is ultimately a very good thing because it stands out. I hope so. I think it stresses people out whenever you have like a more unconventional name to try and say it because I just want to say it right. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, as, have you found that you have uh, anxiety waiting for people to say the name? I used to when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh my God. Like the worst anxiety when you're in class and they're like getting you to do attendance and they're re- they're coming to your name and they'd be like, uh, uh. First day of school. And then, oh yeah. They'd Just be like, it. it's Umbrella. And I would be like mortified. Oh. But, you know, I became a social worker for that reason mm. and I started celebrating people's differences and now I work with artists. So now I'm just like, what do you want me to call you? The blue, whole pur- spectrum. blue, purple, yellow, <laughs> apple, cheese, whatevs. Sometimes it changes, and I'm just like, that's cool. It's funny how uh, like the things that make us different when we're younger are like these sort of weaknesses. Like you don't want to be different at all. You want to fit in when you're a kid. It's like, well, I, I like hockey. I do this. And then as you get older, the things that sort of like are different about you make you stand out, and they become points of pride as a, as opposed to the things that you kind of want to hide or like you mm-hmm. weirdly have this anxiety about. Absolutely, it's kind of one of the nice. Parts of growing up. life. Yeah, 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 exactly. But l- let our listeners know uh, why she's here. Yeah, well, I don't think we did. We said that we did it. Well, that's yeah. okay. She's, That'll be in the description of the. Yeah, the they podcast. read it, then they listen, and uh, yeah. So you are literally you're curating all the art for Nui Blanche. Not all of it, some of it, some of it. But you're like <laughs> kind of like you're running. You're the person. You're running stuff. Some of it. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing around titles, right? Yeah, because true. like we're at the city. My title is programming supervisor. Yep. Um, I do everything like, you know, I I would call myself an art therapist, producer, you know, director. Yes. Curator is all part of that. The whole title thing is weird, but for sure, I'm doing a lot of the large scale projects, uh, City Hall, Young and Dundas Square, Bay Street and Science Center. Cool. So the history, so like Nui Blanche has become a real part of the fabric of Toronto. It's like kind of one of the coolest nights of the year. And you've been involved with it since the beginning? Yeah, well, 12 years. Okay, what can you because I think a lot of people who maybe moved to the city in the last 5 years go, "Oh, I love New Blanche, great night." But what give us the the background, the history and the conception of it so people know. Sure, where sure. It came from. So, it started off in 2006. And basically, the mayor of Paris came to Toronto, and they said that we've done this thing called White Night, and it was really about making art accessible because they felt like it was too like bourgeoisie in Paris. Yeah. It can be intimidating art for sure. And so they took it out of the streets, took it sorry out of the museums and into the streets, and it was this overnight success in Paris. And so that mayor was literally looking, overnight. Yeah. And an overnight success. Literally. And then, so at that time, it was Mayor Miller who was in office, Mm. and he loved the idea. And what started off as like a pilot project had like 500,000 people show up on the one night in 2006. And then Mayor Miller was like, no, we need to keep this thing on. And I started in 2008. Mm. And yeah, I would say it's evolved a lot. Um, but the the spirit of it is the same. It's to make art accessible. It's to take it out of the white cube. It's to put it in the streets, transform the city. And what I've been trying to do for the last five years or so is really bridge pop culture and music and different uh, artistic genres and blend it all into contemporary art. So it's not just what you think of. It's not super conceptual. It's something that's like... It's ephemeral. It's something you feel like music is part of it. And like, I love sort of flipping the script and being like, who can I work with that thinks on this scale that may not be seen in a museum? That to me is really cool and really trying to find a way to like, I don't know, break boundaries with art. 
It's interesting because, I mean, art in in a sense is sort of a fascinating thing because everybody, it's everywhere, right? It's mm-hmm. a sort of a part of, I mean, architecture is art. You know, like we see art pieces, we see everything and we just sort of like accept our surroundings. We're like, oh, I don't even know that I'm looking at art at this point. It's just something that I'm sort of taking in. Mm-hmm. And then an event like this sort of really highlights uh, the sort of work that people are doing in a broader sense, because um, it's a very Toronto-centric thing, obviously you're saying it came from Paris. For our listeners sort of across the country and in other countries, uh, is this something that's sort of like, do you think... Do you see this as emulatable or something that is actually happening in other places? People are looking at Nuit Blanche in Toronto and saying, hey, how can we do this in our places? I mean, there are other cities that are doing Nuit. I think like uh, I think it's happening in Australia. I think it's happening in Winnipeg. I tried to you know, start one in New York and help them. But I would say ours is really unique. Yeah. And it's just because you know it's overnight. It's completely free. We have like over a million people in the span of 12 hours. And I think, you know, the bridge that we've made with pop culture, I haven't seen being done anywhere. Like the work that we did with Director X went on the Boy Meets World Tour. I haven't seen something like that happen anywhere. And so is the message out there as much? No, I mean, we're Canadian. Uh We don't really talk about ourselves like that. And I did this press trip in New York last year and they had no idea we were doing this. And they were so like happy and they were so shocked that the city would support art and the government was behind this. Mm. And they were like, there's no way this could happen in New York. And I'm like, how? It's New York. New York, exactly. You guys are the coolest. They're like, no, no, you guys like support public art that does not happen here. So I think, I think people could learn a lot from us as a city and just Toronto in general. Like we're so open, but they don't know about as much as they could. So your role is a creative director. Is that what it'd be called? It's artistic producer. Artistic producer. It's it seems like it's um uh, really there's a lot going on because you have to deal with the city because you work for the city of Toronto. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So you're an employee for the city of Toronto. Yeah. Or you're not like a contracted. Thing? No. Okay. City hall. And then there's a lot of like brand partnerships mm-hmm. with this, and you're also dealing with a bunch of like visual artists. Mm-hmm. Each one of those things has its own set of challenges, right? Mm-hmm. Because like everybody says, oh, when you work in a bureaucracy, the government that has like so many hoops to you know, jump through. And then you're working with a big, you know, corp- uh, corporation for in a brand way like RBC. It's like okay, there's a lot of that. Yeah. And then you work with a bunch of uh, annoying artists like myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like that's a nightmare too. Uh, what is the most challenging part, and wh- what have been like the best moments where really? it all kind of came together, where like everybody felt like really happy that that they were working together? Sure. I mean. I mean, challenging is, like you said, balancing all parts of the whole. Okay, if you're working with a brand, we need brands because it's like you're using taxpayers' dollars. So you need to have brands come in to match that funding. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Then you let's say you have like an H&M who wants to work with us. And, okay, now I have to make an artwork using H&M's clothing. That's cool if the intention is about making art. All right. Then I have to like do it at something like Young and Dundas Square because that's where people are going to come to. That's where their store is too. Yes. Yeah. So this is like a true story. It happened like two years ago and they were like, okay, um, you know how to do crazy shit. Use Young and Dundas Square and make something with H&M's clothing and make sure there's like nothing bad that happens because that's a square that can get a little <laughs> cuckoo-cuckoo. You know, and I was like, fuck, who am I going to get that's got street cred to go in here and work with recycled garments? And then I was thinking about this artist named Quest, and he's like a really cool graffiti artist from Toronto, and he does a lot of sculptural work. And I met him through Director X, a friend of mine who's, you know, in the hip hop game. And I just really thought about it. You kind of have to use like a psychological perspective. And I was like, who is a good match for this brand? And considering that it was like 
about recycled garments, I really had to use my social work skills. So mm. I'm actually a social worker. Yeah, master of social work. Yeah, my dad has a master of social work. Oh, from U of cool. T as well. Yeah, cool. And it's funny that I'm actually doing a TED talk in a couple of weeks, and a lot of it is about that. Mm. It's about how I used to hide the fact that I was a social worker in the beginning when I was a part of contemporary um, art, until I started to realize it was because of that that I could mm. excel. And so I sort of used my like psychoanalytic perspective and thought, okay. H&M is using recycled garments, and that's really about throwing something away and then taking it and repurposing it. Okay, Quest is an artist that I know. He was he felt like he was casted away from society because he was a graffiti artist. He just didn't want to like learn in conventional ways. He his parents sent him to like military school, and when he came back, he ran away. He was homeless. He lived in like trains. So I got to know him, and I said to him, "Listen, I know this is really fucking weird." But would you be interested in working with H&M on this recycled garment artwork in Young and Dundas Square? And he was like, yeah. Because I was like, I think there's something here. It's about throwing something out and taking it and repurposing it. And I think you felt like you were casted away by society. And now you've come and transformed yourself. And the way I know him now is this like, you know, big graffiti sculpture guy. So he said yes, and we thought about what we wanted to do, and it was really about looking inwards. And he said, I'm, you know, graffiti artist. They tag their names everywhere, and that's really about, you know, truth. It's discovering your truth. And that year was the year of truth and reconciliation in 2017, and so we made a 75-foot sculpture of the word truth. Mm. He handmade it. We wrapped it with the recycled garment, so he went into H&M's clothing store and like he was like oh my god i just sort through like underwear and like all <laughs> kinds of shit and i was like i'm so glad i wasn't there and then we got uh we asked 40 to do the sound oh and, cool and he was like yeah this sounds really cool it's dope it's for the city i love quest i love the concept 40 did the sound and the score and next thing you know it was big massive artwork drake shows up tory shows mayor tory shows up no violence in that square, super calm, super peaceful, one of the most successful projects we ever did. It's interesting, you know, you even telling that story, I'd read that uh, with your social work that you were fascinated by narrative therapy. Mm -hmm. And like, so what was the sort of uh, the thing that appealed to you about that? You said that it's almost better for people to tell a story Mm -hmm. in order to sort of like get through their own trauma. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what artists do, right? Like if you're writing a song, it's helping you express yourself. And when I was working as a therapist doing one-on-one, it's really hard to be like, tell me about when you were affected by violence and abuse so your house was burnt. Like I really was interested in trauma and I remember being in school, I was doing my internship at York University and one of my students that I came to see like presented with an issue of like, oh, I feel unattractive. And I'm like, oh, you feel unattractive. And so what is that about? And he's like, when I look in the mirror, I just don't like what I see. And, and when I really started digging deeper to be like, okay, tell me like about you as a, you know, tell me about your, like this guy named Jerry. What is he really like? And then he would talk about himself a bit more freely. It's like, how does he feel? And then when we started digging deeper and deeper, it turns out he was like from Sudan and his like parents' pharmacy had got bombed. Wow. And I know it sounds insane, but it was when I started to see the value of like storytelling and stepping back that the story started to get more extensive. And then, oh, well, it actually, I'm not attracted to myself because there's a big block between what I see in the mirror and who I really am because I'm stuck. And I, the reason why I'm stuck is because I went through this trauma. And I found that once people started to tell stories and be like, let's just say, tell me a story about Jerry, it started to come out more and started to come out more. And then details in the story started to come out more. And then I started to think about it. And I was like, well, I was always interested in art therapy, you know, as a way to like express yourself. Where did you grow up? 
Scarborough. Scarborough. And what's your family's background? Pakistan. Oh, cool. And we grew up with music. Mm-hmm. Like when you live in immigrant families, and my dad was, you know, working in factories, even though he was an artist, they would always come home and play music. Mm. And they would play this like baja, and then all the family would sing. And that would make you feel like, I'm pretty sure, like you would forget about your stresses here. Mm-hmm. And I remember that was a release. And so I just started to connect the two. And when I started at Nui, I literally went for the interview saying, I really don't know anything about contemporary art, but I know art is therapy. Like Mm -hmm. artists are using it as a tool to tell a story and eventually, you know, hopefully get some catharsis that heals themselves. And I really believe that that's true. Is every branding agency trying to poach you from the city of Toronto? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Probably, right? No, but I don't know. This thing works. Oh, no, it totally works. And I'm so glad that it's a public service because I, I really admire my mom's a high school teacher, dad's social worker. I, and I admire anybody who you know gives themselves over to the service of the community. And this is such an inventive idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you seem perfect for the job. But on that note, when it comes to um, like the budgeting and planning of this event, does it change from administration to administration? Like when Rob Ford was the sure. mayor? Like, do you have to worry about your funding? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I you mean, have to fight those political battles. Yeah, there's always a bit of a culture of fear of like, what's the new thing that's going to be cut? And culture is always the thing. However, we are tied to tourism, mm. and so Nuit Blanche brings in a lot of tourism dollars into. Yeah, you're the city. like the work speaks for itself, buddy. Yeah, and you try try to cut it. Yeah, yeah. you get a lot of you pissed know. off people, even though it, it seems <laughs> superfluous because art is always the first thing to go. Mm-hmm. It it makes its own money. It generates revenue. It generates so then revenue, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think that's what saved us. Other than like the story about how it actually fulfills your soul yeah but on a financial base it does save us because we bring in a lot of tourism dollars you know it's raining this afternoon what day is it tuesday and you and you have to walk from city hall to e1 yeah. here through the rain how much are you checking the weather for friday oh my god like how stressful I'm not is that checking for you? It. i'm getting emails every <laughs> 30 seconds we work with a meteorologist mm. believe it or not <laughs> They're like, 80 kilometer winds is like the thing that's going to make the thing rip because we have a moon with Daniel Arsham that I'm working on. And Charlotte Day Wilson's actually doing the score. Oh, wow. So it's absolutely beautiful. But wind and like weather plays it's a huge part. It's supposed to be windy part. on Friday? Um, Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. But we have to plan for wind, rain, mm. all the shit that you just can't control. Yeah. yeah. October's a tough time. Was it always been in October? Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's after the festival season. So the mm. city can let all the other festivals take... The space and honestly, if, if Nui was in the summer, we'd probably have four million people out. Like, right. look at at the what happened at the Raptors. Yeah, like yeah, that was right. three million people, and that's too much. So when it's a little bit cold, it's kind of just brings the real art lovers out. Yeah, uh, I, it's funny because um, I'm always fascinated when you're dealing sort of with artists. Max alluded to this earlier. You know, I was reading this story about. Um, that piece uh, that you did with director X that was uh, death of the sun Mm -hmm. and how it took six months of going back and forth between Mm -hmm. you two. And Mm -hmm. it tested your friendship uh, constantly. This Mm -hmm. is the piece you mentioned that Drake brought it on tour. Mm -hmm. So the thing was a massive success. Where's the line. If you're you where you're like, I got to stand my ground and keep pushing. And when it's sort of best just to acquiesce. It's a good question. Um, I I don't ever stop. (laughs) I don't give up. (laughs) I'll sit with the artist for as long as it takes to get Mm. there. As I care. Interesting. So, yeah. So I don't think I've ever walked away from it. What anything. was the conflict specifically in that one? Oh, I mean, oh, my friend X. I love X. Um, it was just that he wanted to do this universe, and he wanted all these planets to be all over Toronto, and he wanted the Earth to be here. And, and I was like, that's amazing thing, 
but like what does it mean and you know i think he was at that time looking at it like he said he said he even says like it was like he was used to being from an advertising world or from like commercial making or you know he i don't think he was uh thinking about it initially as contemporary art which is like this deep dark scary thing a lot i was like dude your work needs to be depressed okay artists are depressed <laughs> <laughs> you know? like, if you want to be taken seriously ain't nobody doing a fucking mobile this shit has to be sad so, you know, I was like, but i literally said that to him and he's like who are you i was like you don't know but yeah. i care about you and so yeah oh my god we fought a lot about uh what does this mean and then his name, like, what do we call you? Are you Director X? Are you Julian? Like, what? I wanted to present him in such a respectful way in this, like, art world that he hadn't really existed in before. So we fought about his name. We fought about what it meant. We fought about how big it was. We fought about most, like, most importantly, it was just, like, I, I just kept saying, like, now what? Okay, so you have the earth and you have the sun, then what? Like, what is the story? Because I didn't want people to just walk by it and be like, oh, that's a cool thing by Director X. I wanted people to be struck by it and for it to change their life. Mm. And so I kept pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And literally, you know, I said, you know, like, what what is it that you want out of this whole thing? And he said, I just want people to know that we're all living on the same planet, but yet we're mm. killing ourselves. And he had been affected by gun violence that year. Mm. So mm. I, I was the one who was like, you know, show me your wounds. Tell me what this was about. Like, I'm going to sit with you. I want to know, you know. And so finally we got there. And when it came to what's the one thing you could have in the universe, he said the sun. And I kept pushing and saying, what about it? Because mm. I just didn't want to leave any corner unturned. And I knew there was a little bit more. And he dug deeper. And that's when he said, well, what if the sun were to die? And then we came up with, he came up with Death of the Sun and I was like, stop, that's it. That's the artwork. And it was like one of the most successful projects we've ever done. Are you ever concerned about rupturing the relationship though? Have you pushed too hard? Um, that's a good question. And I think it has happened before in the wrong context. So, you know, I've been in different contexts with artists in the showbiz and, you know, I'm pretty honest with saying like what I think because I'm trying to protect them. But That's why they, you and Drake are in that feud, right? Uh, oh, no, man. I'm just kidding. I'm no, kidding. I'm kidding. Drake's amazing. <laughs> That'd be awesome if you just gave him feedback. He showed you a new demo or something and you're like, well, the thing, what does it mean though? What do, yeah. like, Drake, what are you saying? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, you know don't what, I, I, I have to push you a little harder. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I probably would, <laughs> you know? but I think I'm hopefully getting a reputation and and you know it's not Drake I love Drake the whole, getting her patient of she's the girl who goes after what's real mm. because what's real uh, seriously unlocks that door and you're right it can rub people the wrong way and those people I find um, we don't create large works with you know there's a difference I actually find I was thinking about it today the people who I've had friction with I've actually feel really close to mm. I've produced over a hundred art projects and projects can be remounted and like you get a video from I don't know, an artist, and you put it up, and you say hi, and you shake their hands, and they leave. But the ones that you actually sit with, and with pain, and joy, and tension, and coming back, that's the most rewarding. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. It it can happen, though, if they don't know your intention. Yeah. So I'm trying to talk about my intention more to hopefully... Know where, the, know where you're coming from. Yeah. It's not a place of just trying to sort of dominate no. the conversation or get no. your way. It's like, let's get to this place together. Yep. Max as an artist, which do you prefer when you're when you're dealing with people? Uh, well, I find like if I'm working with producers or anybody, any collaborators, as as long as 
the message is coming from like a, a place of love and care mm-hmm. and it's communicated uh, clearly, mm-hmm. then I'm always up for it. You know what I mean? It's it's like when when it seems like it's based in like ego or arrogance, mm-hmm. that's when you go, huh. like, you know, we performed on the Junos a couple times and the producer of that show, Lindsay Cox, is amazing. Mm-hmm. And she and she's a good listener too. And she's good at like deciphering. And that's probably, probably a big part of your job is like, okay, I'm, I need to hear you and what you're trying to get at and then together we can make it better. Absolutely. You know, it's being a good listener, I think. Yeah. And, and yeah, because she has to deal with you know, we have a joke where it's like, whenever I give her any notes on lighting, I'm just like, backlight. And then she goes to Ashley, our manager, Ash, she goes, when he says backlight, he doesn't actually mean backlight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he means uh, he means light from like in front of him or something or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's so being able to decipher that yeah. step. Uh, but but I'm always up for it. You don't mind a little tension. No, no. No. Uh, yeah, it doesn't even have to be necessarily be full of tension. It's as long as it's productive, I think. Yeah, coming from a good place. Yeah, coming from a place of love and care. It's like we all want to win. Like this is the thing: like, we all want to win. And and to and your your situation is a little different. That like you you have to create this thing and make have it make sense in the scope of you know a bunch of exhibits happening over the course of one night. And you have that perspective, and an artist doesn't necessarily have that perspective because they're kind of in their own smaller world. Yeah. So that's the challenge for yeah. you. Um. Have you done the Weep Lunch, Shane? Yeah, I've walked around. You have. Well, what mm-hmm. are your thoughts? I've never actually done it. I'm ashamed oh, it's, to say it's I've been very in the cool. city it's forever. Awesome, but I don't know shit about art. But <laughs> I, I was curious. What do you do if you're wrong and you think an artist is going to be really good for a project? Then you see it and you're like, oh, I know art's subjective, but this is objectively terrible. <laughs> How do you break that to them? And what do you do if it's so far along that it nothing can be done? Do you just tear it down and just say? No, this is I, gonna work. I don't think I would ever do that. If you know, if I really thought something wasn't strong, I would just let them have their platform, and then right. I probably wouldn't work with them again. Right. But I would never say that to them. Has that ever happened to you? Where you're like, oh. sure. I mean, I've worked with some stuff where what I thought was going to be stronger on site wasn't, even though we spent like a lot of time. But I just, you know, I just, I'm not here to hurt anybody's feelings. For me, if I don't like something, I just don't say anything. Right. And that's my way. Like, I'm not, like, I don't feel like there needs to be ego in, in being a critic. I just stay silent and be like, okay, I'm not, I'm not here to hurt you if you're here to express yourself. And that's what you did. Cool. It may not be my thing. I just leave it and I just don't work with him again. <laughs> you know? But I don't ever say anything that's rude or mean because i know art is really coming from the heart and i just wouldn't say anything what's the process to apply for nui blanche it's kind of like multifaceted so Shane, you working on something in the garage yeah you no you just <laughs> said uh, yeah. i can't even write my name honestly <laughs> yeah I, I seriously can't um just, but to go to your point, I think when I know something is a success is when I feel it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, this feels good. Like that's always the gauge. If it doesn't feel good, you sort of walk away and go, Ooh. but if it feels good, you know, you've hit the mark. But yeah, so curators, you know, we have an artistic uh, committee where we sort of sit around and say, okay, who would be great and why? And then we put a bunch, a couple of names around and we talk to them and say, are you interested in working with us? And most of them say yes. And they submit proposals and we jury them. Or, you know, what I've been doing lately is just going after artist projects, people that I think would be really amazing, and then sort of doing that work on my own and then being like, look at this, shiny ball, go. Mm. So I sort of do my own work, I guess, to serve the city. And then there's sponsors. So let's say, like, I don't know, Shiseido comes on and they want to provide a certain amount, but they want an artwork to be made out of their stuff. That's another way that I would go and find the artist with them. Mm-hmm. And then there's independent projects. So let's say you're not curated, but you still want to apply. You can certainly do that. 
And that means a gallery could do it, a person could do it, a museum can do it. So, so the city really thinks on an equitable level to have like 14 different ways to be a part of it. And then there's like, you know, what I call the off new Like yeah. people will call me and be like, I really want to do that thing and I'm not in your program. So I'm like, just do it. Mm. Just do it. Just do it. Why not? Doors are open. People are walking around. Exactly. You're going to get some business. Like they won't know. Get some eyes. Yeah. Honestly, it's not about ego. Like yeah. that's why I try and do large scale work. So, you know, okay, that's a city produced thing. Mm. But it doesn't mean that there isn't room for everybody. Okay, last question because I know this is the busiest week of the year for you. Um, and you probably have like, it's very, okay. It's all good. The, this is such a success and, I, and I'm and i such a fan of this kind of project where it's like put on by the city. It's mm. encouraging people to get outside. Mm. You know, it's like you're, you know, celebrating the neighborhoods. What are other projects that you've seen or like nuggets of an idea that you have that encourages like this kind of behavior in other cities or just like, mm. Is, like, is there anything they're like, I just wish we had more of this? Because when you see about Nui Blanche and you're just like, I just wish there was like the, the idea of like going out and seeing art till three in the morning. That's so cool. Like, is, is there anything else that comes to mind of, or, or things you've taken in? Sure. I mean, I like going to Miami Art Basel. And it's not necessarily for the art. It's for the people. What's, what's, what is that? It's it's uh, like it's an art fair. Mm. So there's an art fair that started in Basel, Switzerland, and then there's one in Hong Kong, and then there's one. Then the Winwood. Uh, Winwood is a part of Miami. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like it's kind of like a Nui where it's okay. everywhere. The reason why I love Miami Art Basel is that people from all around the world are there. And so let's say they have a convention center and they have an art fair there. It's not really to me about the arts people I meet. Like mm. I'll be walking down, I'm standing beside someone from Uganda, I'm standing from someone from Hong Kong, I'm standing mm. from someone from, and everybody's so nice and they all just want to like meet each other and talk. So it feels like a really cool creative environment. And I've made so many friends there. And it's because everyone has their guard down and they just want to connect on a creative level. Mm. And I wish we had something that created, because Nui's big and I, I try and make things that pull people together, but the next step would be to actually talk to the person, mm-hmm. you know, and have, yeah, like it's like a, the first week of university when everyone just has to be nice exactly. to each other. <laughs> it's like, how do we do more of that? Where everyone just like is on the same level playing yeah, field. Like where? Maybe the Junos. I mean, yeah, everyone's pretty friendly there. Yeah. yeah. I would love more of that. Like uh-huh. this. I don't know you guys, uh-huh. but we're all, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. yeah. I wish Toronto had more things like that. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't know what that is. Yeah, but. I think part of the trick is like just uh, cultivating like the spirit of like, hey, the point of this whole thing is yes. just to like walk around with a smile on your face and your eyes are open to new conversations totally. and people. And, yeah, and, and and you've done a good job doing that. Thank you. Oh, well, Thank you so much for coming oh, on, giving pleasure. us your time. And uh, <laughs> good luck. So it's this uh, it's a Saturday, yeah. uh, 7 to 7, right? 7 yeah. p.m. to 7 a.m. Yep. It's exciting stuff. What are you going to do on Sunday? Honestly, I go for brunch at the Drake. I have their scones. I have champagne. I have everything. I'm like, this is it. You must be loopy. (laughs) Take a nap. And then we have an after party um, this year at Soho House. And it's just just for people to come together. Yeah. Because I'm like, don't go. Like, I always get FOMO after. It's like, I just fall in love with everybody all the time. And I get sad. So it's just sort of like, even though we're tired, I'd love to be tired and just be close to you because we did this fucking crazy mm. overnight thing and that's what we do so the after parties in the morning at night in the oh, sunday oh. night oh, do the oh breakfast, sleep sleep and then go for anything. it right go i for see brunch now for three gotcha. hours go to the after party nice all right you got a system we'll have fun thank you no matter what and you if you're in the toronto area go check this shit out and if you see her say hi <laughs> you know you'll be around right yes yeah. okay well thanks so much for thank coming on thank you Thanks to Umbering. That was great. Yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, you gonna go to New Punch? Oh, you're out of town. We leave. Uh, I think we leave for tour like Saturday, at seven o'clock or something. Like just when it's starting. So. Are you excited for this tour? Yeah, yeah, to get man. Back into it. Do you like the gear up to tour, or are you just like get me on the road, or is this all like the last couple days? I feel like you got a lot to do, but is it more like uh, like you kind of excited, or is it more a pain in the ass? Mm, we're we're kind of like in the middle of this cycle, so there's not as much thinking. Like when we had to learn all the new songs from the new record, that takes a lot of headspace. But uh, now we're pretty well in the groove, uh, so it should be good. Yeah, it's sort of like business as usual, and there's, we're always thinking about how to make the tour special and what bits to integrate and those kind of conversations. But compared to a year ago when the record was coming out and we were just starting to tour, it's a lot easier to, uh, to think about the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a good benefit. Yeah. Speaking of the podcast, uh, we have some uh, topics today. Yeah. So those topics are, what do you want to do first? Do you want to do uh, the Chanel fashion show or do you want to do this facial uh, recognition? I feel like we've talked about AI in the past, so we're kind of on this tip. Yeah, let's do the facial recognition thing. Okay, so I mean, this is depending on your point of view, This you might find this scary, you might find it exciting, I don't know, but I'll just quickly give you a breakdown of this story. So the Telegraph reports, artificial intelligence and facial expression technology is being used for the first time in job interviews in the UK to identify the best candidates. Unilever, the consumer goods giant, is among companies using AI technology to analyze the language, tone, and facial expressions of candidates when they are asked a set of identical job questions, which they film on their mobile phone or laptop. The algorithm, the <laughs> algorithms... The algorithm. <laughs> Keep Hi, I'm Barney. Uh, the algorithms select the best applicants by assessing their performances in the videos against about 25,000 pieces of facial and linguistic information compiled from previous interviews of those who have gone on to prove to be a good at the job. Wow. That's pretty wild. Yeah. So it's like, how much do we... Like, it's, it's always like, who's watching the watchers? Do we trust the technology enough? I guess uh, they're, they're going to judge it against who ended up being good at like post-interview. Yeah. But it could be very biased, right? Like, what if all the people who they've been hiring have been males, white males, who tend to make certain facial expressions? Hmm. So, and all the people who have been successful have been white males instead of women who maybe tend to make different facial expressions or react differently. Great question. So, is there is there is there uh, something in the software that differentiates between the facial expressions maybe men and women or, or anybody with differences makes? Or do all humans make the same expression? Yeah, I guess it depends on what, what the equation is that they're going for. Like, are they looking for like a certain uh, like vocabulary that the person has or like using... I thought it's using facial expressions. Is it just facial expressions? And linguistic. And linguistic yeah. stuff. Mm. The way you answer something. So, like, do they... Do, are they, do they like aggression out of a candidate? Like, what are they seeing that they're looking for that's an interesting question too i guess that's a trade secret. yeah so i don't know what the equation is in the algorithm uh but i'm gonna be that guy at the party right now uh i'm reading this malcolm gladwell book yeah and gladwell uh talks about uh, an experiment um with a new york city judge who basically goes who has to determine whether someone's going to get out on bail for free or they're uh not for free they're going to be released on bail or go to jail and uh, basically, the the judge, the only information the judge has is what the offense is, what his date of birth is, what his address is, and what his crime history is. And then he has to kind of like look the guy in the eye and go, "Do I trust you or not?" And so, so this the future of this guy for the next you know until his trial is set is in the in the hands of this judge. And it turns out that the judge's um, instincts versus what an algorithm would have offered because they were able to like take. 
the variables of the case from like 2003 to 2012 and run it through an algorithm, the judges are wrong all the time. So this idea that we can like look into the window of a soul uh, just by like looking at yeah. somebody and determine whether they should be in jail or not is sort of foolish. And so I am kind of into the computers helping us because I just think that like I know that my gut instinct has been wrong plenty of times because mm-hmm. it, it is on a certain level judging a book by its cover and I want to get those kinds of biases But it's so out. weird because Malcolm Gladwell has another book called Blink mm-hmm. in which it's the exact opposite. It's all about going with your gut instinct and your initial thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess know. that's in social interactions as opposed to I guess I, mean, I guess it's all assessing somebody's character, right? Yeah, and also seconds. another famous uh, experiment is uh, basically the amount of times, like in the small claims court, the amount of guilties that a judge hands out just before lunch is way more significant than at the beginning of the day because he's just hungry for lunch. That's basically it. I'm not yeah. kidding. And as a guy who gets hangry, I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. And also the amount of um, uh, things that go wrong in a hospital, like later in a shift is much more significant than the early shift mm-hmm. when people have full energy. So I'm just saying that like human beings assess things and do things incorrectly all the time. And I and I would and if I'm applying for a job, I kind of want to have a fair shot at it. Is all I'm saying. But what makes you think a computer is better at doing that? I'm saying it. It, it we have it relies tons of on years of, of human error to sort of like why not try it? Well, it's also just based on an equation, right? Like I think these algorithms are just based on an equation. You're trying to you're saying it's less subjective. So yeah. meaning like a judge or anybody brings their own set of biases to any decision they make or judgment they make on a person, right? That's human sort of uh, uh, bias or just their own sort of like personal sort of opinion, which will sway their thing, uh, their judgment, even if they think they're being impartial, right? Like you can't help but be affected by things that are affecting you. That is just the reality of the situation. I guess a computer. In theory, would take that out of it, but it always gets back to who sets the algorithm. Yeah, because that's ha- going to be set by a human. And how does it evolve? Like, how does it get? Like, how do you have progress? What do you mean? Well, like how, what Shane was saying about how what if it's always like the white males? They've been doing oh, it right all these sure. years, and then so the computer just keeps picking people who look like that or and like speak like that. People tend to and have those- a better chance at getting hired. Well, th- I mean, this is why the, this example of the AI thing is a little weird to me because they're examining their facial recognition and. And I, and I think even facial recognitions can be somewhat deceiving. So I don't know if I like this particular example, but this, you know, that show, The Masked Singer or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. That idea, it's like, that's actually a real thing. So On CTV weeknights. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Shout out to Bell, Bell Media. Yeah. Um, because uh, an orchestra. That's uh, a glad, another Gladwell thing. Yeah. You know, the orchestra one. Yeah. Yeah. They started basically auditioning people behind a curtain. So you didn't know what they looked like. And that's how they determined who'd be in the orchestra. And I was like, oh, there's now there's to that. way, way, way more women in orchestras because yeah. of that. Yeah. Hardly anywhere getting hired. Uh-huh. So yeah, I, I, the facial recognition part, I don't know about. But the idea of interviewing people and not even looking at them is somewhat compelling to me. I just feel like the data they have so far uh, isn't good enough because it's probably based on people being hired unfairly. With the facial recognition thing. Yeah, sure. and anyone they're they're basing it. Oh, this guy is a good employee is based on them being hired mm-hmm. for their gut instinct, and their gut instinct was telling them based on how they looked or their skin color. Or mm. Yeah, pedigree. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to trust that. If there's something to Aren't you guys fascinated to how you do against this machine? Oh yeah, I think I wouldn't get any jobs. I want to be. No, interviewed you always get the job for sure. Mm, I don't know about that. I feel like I'm. I have a lot of soft skills. If if any were to, anyone were actually like evaluate me like with like hard numbers yeah I'd but you're like fail. a puppy 
you know <laughs> what, that, what does that mean like your features and how you talk you're just like a little puppy like like you would pass the like nice guy test i feel oh, okay mm-hmm. that's nice that's a compliment don't you think i think oh, it's yeah. a compliment yeah. shane on the other hand no i i would do horrible hmm. <laughs> well what's an instance uh where you guys totally misread a person or situation all the time yeah i feel like it happens huh. yeah i like i'm constantly like oh i was so wrong about that person and i, I feel kinda, like an asshole for i love that being actually. wrong yeah i i would say what i'll do sometimes is before i meet like say like uh you only ever see someone on instagram or social media mm. i will sort of make a, a judgment like i might be intimidated by them like oh that person's gonna be like a little bit pretentious or super hip or whatever i'll make i'll be wrong about that but i usually find within the first like couple minutes of a conversation I, I'm pretty good at getting a sense of who you are, and and so it's like I feel like once I've interacted, it, I'd be it's it's be shocking to me where I'm like, wow, that person turned out to be terrible. There's usually always little markers, or like that ter- person who was terrible to me turned out to be great. You know, mm-hmm. it's like usually I think I'm pretty right if I get to talk to them. I have been wrong when I've judged a book by its cover, like from their Instagram presence or something. Yeah, I feel like I'm very rarely wrong about that stuff. Really. Yeah, it's like my best skill. I think is just judging people. Huh, like I'll be out with Alex. First met me. Just exactly what I think now. I just think, <laughs> really? you're, yeah, you're a nice guy. Oh wow, yeah. But like I'll be out with Alex or something. She'll be like, that guy was so nice. I'll be like, no, he's not. He's like a phony asshole. She's like, no, he's not. And then one day she'll come home and be like, she's like, Max is an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that I find that happens a lot where someone I'll be out and I'll think that I, we're both me and this other person are thinking the same thing mm-hmm. about a person we just met at a party. And usually it's the other person thinks they're nice. And I'm like, no, no. And then I'll just wait for a little time to go by. And then the person will reveal themselves. This is the thing that I've had to struggle with just by virtue of being in a band for a decade is just the look of band dudes is just an an intimidating thing. And like, especially if you're like a 20 year old and you're like opening for some other band and just the posturing that goes on is not particularly friendly. And everybody's like smoking a cool guy's cigarette and wearing skinny jeans and just like has weird tattoos and stuff like that and i feel like for most people it, that's like an intimidating conversation to walk up to and then the, the reality is when you meet any of these guys they're all like when you get to know them they're usually pretty nice and they're like fuck i gotta go back to work at the coffee shop and like i'm you know they're just like anybody else but i find when it comes to style and aesthetics like band guys and arty guys and like hipster people are the most intimidating and then when you get to know them, you're like, oh, you're just another person. Don't mm-hmm. you find that? Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, the, the harder one to evaluate is the quiet person. Because we've had some crew members uh, with our cows on the road who are quiet. And at first you're like, is this person an asshole? Or, and you don't quite get a sense of how hard they're working necessarily or how much they care. And I've been wrong in those instances where I'm like, oh, so there's a guy, I'll just say his name, Ryan, when we first met him. He was just like, we couldn't quite get a read on him because he's quiet, but he's the most hardworking, loyal dude, always does his job. And we just, it took a minute for me to realize mm-hmm. that, which is, which I like. It's, it, was, and it was actually a good lesson for me. Yeah. You could have used some uh, AI software. Yeah, right? <laughs> Maybe they could have gave you the skinny on Ryan. Honestly. Right away without having to learn it yourself. Uh, but yeah, do you guys think this is the wave of the future? Do you think that this will be like a hiring practice standard going forward, like within the next decade? I hope not. How do you think you'd do on it? I like to think I'd do fine, but it freaks me out right. that it's like in the hands of a fucking robot. You know, I don't like that stuff. You know why I think it will probably take if it has even like 60% good results is because it's cheaper. 
literally you don't have to like meet people in person you don't even have to hire someone to do the interviewing they send in a tape you throw it into the computer and then it spits out an answer also you can make the argument that it's actually more humane or more or, or it offers more equality like if it's done right yeah. obviously it can be done wrong but like that is, there's like a human rights argument to it where you're like oh this is actually better than trusting the old boys club that's doing the hiring at the office right yeah, yeah. some would argue that yeah all right Anything else on AI? No, next subject. Okay. Boom. Uh, next subject. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Just going through them. Uh, this is a fascinating thing. So Chanel had a fashion show uh, in Paris, I believe. <laughs> yeah. And so this clip went viral within the last 24 hours, maybe. Or it's got, I'm yeah. looking at it now. It's got 2.1 million views. I saw it maybe within the last 24 hours before you sent it to the Oh, community. really? Okay. Yeah, I saw it because it was just kind of everywhere. Um, and it is a woman. <laughs> they they basically have this like sort of like prestigious fashion show where all of these models are walking uh, down like a sort of a, a constructed set. It looks like it's on a rooftop, some sort. Uh, they're in like fall fashions, and this YouTube personality decided to just join this cavalcade of, of, of models and just start walking with them, sort of with like this cavalcade. Where did you come up with that word? I read it somewhere. Great word. Oh, thanks, buddy. Yeah, you, you do that about once a week, Mike. <laughs> it's true. Um, it's some word. I'm like, I can't believe you got that one. Uh, so, so she jumps into line with these 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 models, and uh, she just walks. People loved this. Uh, it seemed, from what I saw, just on Twitter, there's a reason it went viral. I think people liked the idea that uh, she sort of did this. She's a YouTube personality mm. um, in Europe, and so I guess she's <laughs> done things like this before. She also did another fashion show mm. a bit ago, and I guess this is kind of her thing. But this one went incredibly viral. Did uh, Gigi? Did he actually do anything? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see I that clip? You have to watch I, that clip. And I didn't see that because I just saw her jump on stage. So the way this the stage is constructed, constructed so it turns, uh-huh. and uh, when this uh, interloper turns toward like Gigi, <laughs> Gigi basically is like, "Go no further. You're coming off the stage." Like, wow. But in the most like gentle yeah. way, yeah. like she just puts her arm on her shoulder sternly. But and, the girl like, kind of tries around. to vamp a bit. You know, she doesn't really want to go quietly, Gigi. but Gigi's like, no, that's it. Like, you're yeah. you're making a mockery of this thing that we hold dear. Wow. Yeah. So Gigi to the rescue. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I'm surprised Gigi did that. Usually, if you're Gigi Adid, you get someone to do everything for you. So you're just like, I'm not dealing with yeah, this security. She clearly takes the institution of modeling and high fashion seriously. Uh-huh. This is an affront to everything mm-hmm. that their, their, their uh, business and construct uh, upholds. Mm-hmm. So here's the question. Is this funny or is this like uh, incredibly mean to the people who designed these fashions and who put a lot of thought into this event? <laughs> I'm in the camp that you can always make fun of that high fashion <laughs> shit. Like, like what? Like, there is it is like the least important thing I think on planet Earth. So uh, yeah. And by the way, I love cool fashion. I like it. But the idea of anyone taking it, like the idea of someone taking a shot at it in good fun, is fine with me. It wasn't even that crazy of a shot. No. They just hopped in and tried to blend. Yeah. And it it shined a light on it. So it's it's very cool. Like they didn't ruin it. It's not like a a guy went on and in a wife beater with like a mustard stain on it and walked. That would be much funnier. This, this was. A good- <laughs> didn't you do that at the Raptors game? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't have a stain. I ended up with a gravy stain, but that was accidental. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll run the clip again on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I just think this was an innocent little prank. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you, you head into a prank like that, you're expected to be caught. And mm-hmm. All right, Mike, I, I don't want your sort of middle ground opinion. Here. Sure. What, what do you think? I think it's funny. Okay, good. I think it's funny, but do we I, have to? Res- should I respect fashion more? Well, like high listen, fashion. Like I, that? I think anything that people do, like if somebody were to like, like you know, like at award shows when somebody, like you know, I remember years ago, uh, the Beastie Boys. Uh, I think it was uh, 
was it MCA? One of them got up and basically took the mic from Michael Stipe, who they'd won for REM for Everybody Hurts, and they'd beat, I think, Sabotage. And he basically kind of takes over the thing, and it's kind of this disruptive thing that's funny. This is, like, disruptive, mm-hmm. right? And some people would say, well, you know, people put in a lot of work, and, like, these artists made the fashion. This is my middle ground thing. I'm just literally taking the counter on this. Yeah, sure, sure. But I, I do think it's, like... Listen, like this is funny. I, I do think it's funny, and I don't think it's that big a deal. Um, but I do bet there's people in this industry because there's millions of dollars yeah. at stake that take themselves too seriously that find this offensive. It's like music. I don't really care about music, but I respect it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we, if we did the hierarchy, like fa- high fashion is at the bottom, right? <laughs> like, it may, and music might be just like slightly above it. I don't know. Like, I, by the way, I, I just think there needs to be more. Like, literally, unless you're like a cancer doctor. Like you can't, you you can't take yourself well, too you know seriously. You know how I think right. about it. I think in time of a great war, what would be the first thing to go? Yeah, high fashion. Yeah, yeah. It's like that would be the first thing we stopped caring about. And by the way, music would actually be pretty high on the list. I uplifts say. people. It uplifts. But like, so does fashion to to a lot of people. It does a lot. No, of well, not to the same degree. Oh, I don't know. Why? Why do you say that? Well, I'm saying okay. In a time of war, okay. Let's say everyone's to like spirits. Yeah, da- everyone's sort of down, uh, hiding okay. in the shelter. It's like, what are we gonna do? Pull out a guitar or do a little fashion runway? Check out my new shirt. Depends <laughs> what you're into. <laughs> Depends what you're into. <laughs> that would be amazing. I would love to see that. It's like it's like we're in like we're in like East London, which has been bombed by the Germans. It's this like, would be a hilarious sketch. <laughs> like like the guy that's like everybody's like living on beans and it's real. Death the two and it's like let's sing a bar song fellas to love through the spirits and then somebody's like guys you have to check out what i've put together with this potato sack and a couple of clothespins yeah. and everyone's like we don't give a shit jerry we want to sing some songs but you could combine it like that song like turn to the left do your thing on the runway and then the music people could sing that song and then the multimedia pe- yeah exactly yeah, you that can really combine would bring people together yeah 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 what else would go on that list Oh, I mean, most things. Yeah. Like I, I the do... worst forms of art we're talking about? No, just the most superfluous, Anything like snobby, oh, okay. like high notes, like, like, ex- like expensive food. Like yeah. The artistry of like cooking would yep. go. would be like, you know. 3D films. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Electric Definitely. cars. No one films. cares. Films. But plays would still exist. Like small plays, you know, like. Like people would probably still do art. They would still like re- like perform things. I think because it's free to perform mm-hmm. things, right? Like you could do that if you have one guy watching. You could read a monologue. Pranks would actually be pretty popular. I bet mm. cheap form of entertainment. Yeah. And by the way, like I like love uh, like if somebody's really passionate about fashion, whatever. It's like that's awesome. I'm like, super thrilled for them and 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 i've been in situations where someone like describes like i have fashion designer friends that i went to high school with and if they describe to me like what makes something special i can get right into that world like mike d loves like fancy watches i don't really give a shit about fancy watches but when he'll describe the mechanics of what makes a watch a wristwatch i believe they great, call them time pieces time pieces or whatever the fuck <laughs> i'm like I'm awesome i just like i love it i like i love anybody being passionate about whatever yeah. that is but the idea of anybody getting mad about someone like fucking with some like Paris fashion show, like runway for like a little stunt, that's totally fine with me. Hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah, I find I found it entertaining. Uh-huh. Hey, okay, so my basketball question- would probably go in a great time of war as entertainment. Mm-hmm. I think all sort of public sports where everyone could gather and we can, you know. Yeah, that'd be a bummer. What okay, what the, but the question I had for you guys is uh, have you ever been a part of a, a great prank? Uh, I feel yeah. like Shane's been a part of a yeah, prank. Yeah, I've been a part of a couple, yeah, in high school. 
we uh, I actually talked about my pranks on our uh, our good friends and listeners of the pod, uh, the, the Heist. A Heist podcast. Yeah. yeah. So if anyone wants to go listen to my episode of the Heist, you can hear like uh, one a Heist I pulled off, and then I guess the other one was a Heist we pulled off, but then it resulted in a prank. This is I don't even know if this is a good prank. We stole it from David Letterman, mm. but basically uh, one of my friends when we were growing up, he lived near a uh, a Walmart. Maybe I think that's what it was. Maybe it was a Kmart. I don't know. But uh, there was like a shipment, like a, a truck came in with a bunch of clothes, and one of our friends was walking by on the way to our buddy's place, and they basically basically because it wasn't really being paid attention to they just grabbed a huge bag of jackets off of the back of the truck mm. so it was all these big blue and white puffy jackets like winter jackets <laughs> yeah. that they just brought in for new ship so we had like 14 of these jackets so what happened was uh, me and all my buddies there's probably like 10 of us we all went to the local pizza pizza in hamilton and we had somebody set up a camera that just filmed like outside of the pizza pizza like from across the lot and so the first guy goes in in the blue puffy jacket and uh, he orders like a slice of pepperoni or whatever and then a second later, another guy comes in in the blue puffy jacket. He's like, hey, man, that's a great coat. He's like, oh, thanks. You got a great coat, too. Then a third guy comes in. And then he's like, then they're both like, dude, where'd you get the coat? He's like, I just got it. And then eventually there's 10 guys in there in the exact same blue and white puffy coat. <laughs> that's funny. I and like the, that. The guy at the Pizza Pizza is just watching all this like, what the fuck is going on? And it's all shot from outside the Pizza Pizza. I think we might have bit it from a Letterman thing, but we thought that was uh, very, very That's funny. a great bit. Oh, we loved watching that piece of tape. My prank is also Pizza Pizza related. <laughs> <laughs> and involves jackets. It's that's so weird. Wow. Uh, do you know this? I I, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. So um, I was in a film festival. Like I had a film entered into a film festival, and for some reason, I ended up winning a pizza pizza jacket. <laughs> okay. I don't know why they were just giving out pizza pizza jackets. So in my my rap group, just started performing in pizza pizza jackets. It was it was part of just our look, I guess. And then I was like, I, I want to do a prank with this pizza pizza jacket because it's a legit jacket. Like, it's not just one a normal civilian can see, wear. See, some people are passionate about fashion. Yeah, see. <laughs> so I was like, uh, okay, I have this bit. Just uh, get the camera, set it up outside, and I'll wear like a lav mic. And let's see if we can fuck with this pizza pizza guy. So I come in with a bunch of uh, pizzas. And I'm playing the role of a pizza delivery man who's lost. Um, so I walk in. I'm like, hey, listen, buddy. I, I got all these orders. I, I'm like 40 minutes late. Can you help me get to this location? And I give the guy a piece of paper uh, sloppily written down my location. He goes, oh, man, you're not even close. You're going to be like another 20 minutes late. But he's like, go around the corner whatever. I'm like, thank you so much. The second I leave the pizza pizza, a group of like mob hitmen start beating me up. <laughs> they, they grab me. And they throw me in the back of a trunk and peel out. The pizza pizza guy runs out and he goes, no! <laughs> like out of a movie. Then he sees it's being filmed and he goes, oh. And he just realized instantly and got embarrassed and was like, you fucking idiots and walked in. But he went from, oh, no, to, oh. Like so quick. It's unbelievable. That's hilarious. Wow. That's great. Yeah. What's your pizza pizza story? Well, I actually, okay, I texted some of my siblings because mm. I couldn't think of any. So I was like, um, did I ever get any of you guys really good? My brother, my older brother, Adam, told me. Uh, one time me and Sean McMillan were playing video games in the basement. You came down and asked if we wanted a drink. We said no. Then you complained until we finally wanted something and we both said milk. You said no. How about water? We said no. And you went upstairs and got us water with ice. We never drank the water. And like three days later, I cleaned them up. And one of those gag ice cubes with a fly in it was in there. Oh, you had you put a fly in an ice cube. <laughs> it was like it was like a glass ice cube. Got you. But wow. I wanted to get them, so they, that's, they didn't uh, bite though. No, big prankster. Yeah, yeah that's my prank. And it wasn't. Uh, what about you, Max? What's your prank? I don't know if I have any good ones. Um, 
Ever been pranked? Uh, geez, yeah, I don't know. This I, was your topic. No, I know, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we were we were scaring each other at eighty five Arkell, where we basically did a thing where we'd like hide in somebody's room. Like one of us would hide, and and then they'd come into the room, and then you would go boo. And but it got really intense, where like people were like hiding in the bathroom for like five hours straight, like in the shower, just waiting for the like the oh guy. Oh my god! The guy just to like get ready for bed, and then they they'd scare him. Uh, and then it got really intense. And our one roommate, Jay Kelly, who's a great contractor in Hamilton, if you ever need a just a, used a, a kitchen renovated, and he just did mine. Um, he had a, he was the only one with a car, and we all used to borrow his car. And he had plans to go to Niagara Falls with his girlfriend at the time for a romantic weekend. And then we took the car and like drove it like four blocks away. And then he was like, "Guys, where's my car?" Like that morning, and we're like, "I don't know where your car is." And basically, we we had him scared for like, and he was about to call the police. Mm-hmm. And then we had to tell him. So, but that, that that's not a particularly nice. Did prank. he find it funny once? Or was no, he no, he was he was pissed. He was like, "I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you." He started pointing at each one each one of us. But uh, I, uh, <laughs> fuck, I don't know what uh, if there's any. Is there any like pranks? Like, do you ever have the? Um, do you ever want to like run onto the field or like streak or anything like that? Have you guys ever had that temptation? Nah. I had another prank. It's it was it was kind of like my uh, I I told this basically on a pod that we didn't end up airing ever. It was the, it was the one where I say I used to pretend I was on cocaine a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah. So that prank was I would cover myself in um uh, flower and do my hair real up and bug my eyes out and so I would walk into convenience stores and just be very suspicious walking up and down this the is in Hamilton yeah okay. at a 7-Eleven yeah. and I'd be very suspicious and then I would go and act like I was stealing and I, I each aisle I'd be going like this <laughs> while Mike's brother Greg is filming <laughs> and then I would get a pack of gum pay for it as the uh, cashier is very suspicious mm-hmm. And then I would have a car, a Mustang car, pull up after I paid, <laughs> and I would run out, hop in the Mustang, high five, and the getaway driver would peel out. <laughs> so I wouldn't steal anything, but the joke was I act like I steal anything. Anyway, so Greg is filming in the 7-Eleven. We peel out. Greg films it. We come back like 10 minutes later to pick up Greg. The cops are there, and Greg gets arrested. Greg got arrested. Well, uh, I don't contained, and they they took him back to uh, your mom's place. Yeah, the how question old, of how old were you guys? Yeah. Well, Greg. Well, I've had I have heard 18. that story, but what it was was you told Greg, <laughs> if you're going to film this, you do not stop rolling no matter what happens. Yeah. So his thing was he didn't know, like he didn't want to shut it down because he was scared that he was going to lo- not catch something on camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I got the cops in the uh, elevator and everything uh, talking about it, and Greg had told them. That he knows a police officer named, <laughs> and that they he said the police officer's name, and they're like, we don't care about that. And then in the elevator, the cops are just talking amongst themselves. They're like, do you know this guy? It's like, I don't know. And they're like, oh, well, we better just let him go. Like they were, <laughs> they were actually scared about this. Oh my yeah. god, he was rolling while like he that's was rolling. So funny. Yeah. yeah, that's hilarious. I feel bad for that convenience store operator because there's like enough sort of sketchy people walking around Hamilton stealing things from convenience stores. So it yeah, it was yeah. not a, like I would never do that nowadays. I'd probably get shot if I pulled that nowadays. But at the time, it's like it was the peak of jackass and pulling like mm, film yep. pranks and I wanted, that was like my ticket to fame, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. That's I was good. always trying to think Who's of another. Mustang did you have? Um, my friend Bram Leggett. Mm, nice. His dad owned a dealership. So was, yeah. <laughs> Convertible? 
Yeah. Oh, so it was very cool. Over top. And, it's, <laughs> and it squealed out and everything. Oh, it was just so, so perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Don't you wish you could do more shit like that? But mm-hmm. you just can't as like a respectable person. And the woman the was job. so terrified behind the counter. Like mm-hmm. we found out like she was really like shaken up by the whole ordeal. So mm. at the time you don't think about shit like that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like mortified to look back on it. But yeah. Yeah. All right. That was good. Great. Mm-hmm. Shane, what you got? I was going to talk about sperm, uh, getting sperm tested. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, basically what happened was. Uh, I guess we had the episode where I talked about my sperm being very potent. Yeah. And then... Uh, <laughs> the a funny n- sentence. Well, the nut thinks that his sperm isn't very potent. Mm. The opposite of potent. Right. And then uh, like a low sperm count. And then my friend Sean has always speculated that he uh, isn't very potent. Yeah, but he got uh, his wife Chelsea pregnant pretty immediately, right? Oh, did he? I thought it took a while. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Just guessing here. Yeah. But we were thinking of all getting our sperm count tested. <laughs> like the three of you. Well, if you guys are in, that could be funny. No, I just like the idea that there's this like triumvirate of like a, a, a text what conversation. Word was that? Triumvirate. It's like a you know they're a group. It's two people in, in a tri- triangle. Okay. Cavalcade, I know that word <laughs> is made up. Well, cavalcade, I know, but I, yeah. I just the way he pulled it out. In the I might have done that one good. just because you you yeah. praised me so hard yeah, last time. That now, word is too try hard. I'm yeah. like a, I'm like a little dog that wants more uh, cookies. You know, <laughs> more treats, Maxie. Uh, but. Um, Anyways, because we were thinking about getting. Uh, but are the three of you in a text group talking about your sperm? We are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you put a screen grab of that in the? In oh, I will. Yeah. Okay, this, good. This but is we were wild. thinking about getting a Trojan sponsorship, maybe. Oh, yeah. Or a Jack in the Box. <laughs> is that a masturbation joke? Yeah. Because <laughs> we all come in a box. 